Today we begin kind of our, our five-week series, uh, and, and a cool thing is, in addition to these being our, our Advent messages, they also serve as kind of an introduction into our 2023 series on the life of Christ, because clearly the life of Jesus begins with his birth, uh, as we remember that he always existed, but we think about his life here on earth. So in really... This sermon Advent series is the best deal available because it's a two-for-one. And who doesn't love a two-for-one sale, right? Where's all the shoppers? I mean, Black Friday was just happening. Everyone was going for those good deals. So this is a two-for-one series in Advent and the life of Christ as we look to next year. So this week, we begin with hope. And I want to begin with a story in which many might remember, and I will remind you of this great time, of there was a sense of hopelessness, but then there was a great hope. Here's the story, and you know where we're going, because we're going to the area of sports. It was third and three from their own 30-yard line. The Ravens were trailing by seven points with 44 seconds left, and things seemed hopeless. The Ravens were about to lose to, of all teams, the Denver Broncos in the playoffs. I wouldn't have heard the end of it from my family in Colorado had this hopelessness come through. No way could they go then 70 yards in the time that remained to push the game into overtime. But then, (laughs) Theron's getting all excited. He still remembers. But then, something amazing happened, which actually, if I admit, if you were watching the game, I actually didn't see it happen because I was so mad I wasn't actually watching the game anymore at that point. But that's not the point of the story. All right, but then something amazing happened. Joe Flacco, he went, stepped back, and he threw a pass deep down the right sideline, right into the hands of Jacoby Jones, who somehow got past the last Denver Bronco defender. He caught the ball and ran it in for a touchdown, which is now forever known as the mile-high miracle. It was amazing. There was no hope at all in us Ravens fans. I sat in my own anger and whatever you want to call it of thinking this was over. I was going to have texts from family saying, ha ha, look what happened to your beloved Ravens. I will say that I did not text back saying, ha ha ha, look what happened to your Broncos, just to be clear. I did not rub it in. But The excitement was gone, but then in a moment, things that were hopeless had hope. And as we know, the Ravens would go on to win that game in overtime, and then they would go on to win the Super Bowl. But you see, a hopeless situation became a place of excitement and joy. You see, life can often feel hopeless, but as we look to Jesus, we find all the hope that we need in this world. It is this hope that I want us to look at as we turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking in chapter 2. I know what you're thinking, Seth. Ephesians is not a Christmas passage. 
Well, we're going to get there, and we're going to see how this all plays out in God's story. Let us pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and, and worship in your name, to begin to think upon this Advent season, to think about what it means for, for Jesus to come into this world as a baby so that we might find this hope. Lord, be with us now as we understand your word and as we hear from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you think about this, our outline for today is going to be pretty simple. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, and in verses 1 through 3, we're going to see the hopelessness of our situation. We're going to see how sin affects us in so many ways, and how it leaves us under this wrath of God. But then, just in the same way as Joe Flacco threw this great pass, we're going to see God act. And in verse 4, we're going to see the hope that came into the world, that overcame the darkness and the light in Jesus Christ. So that is our journey for today. And you see, I'm, I'm taking this journey because I think before we can understand the hope of Christmas, that we need to have an idea and understanding of the hopelessness in our sin, to the hopelessness that is in this world, because until we realize that, we'll never fully understand the hope that we have in Christ. So, I want us to think back to the nation of Israel as they were looking toward hope. You know, they were God's chosen people. King Solomon, after he ruled, the, the nation was divided into two kingdoms, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Israel was completely rebellious against God, never following God, chasing after the gods of other nations. They ignored the cause of the prophets. They completely chased after their own desires. Eventually, God came in and, and punished them. God used the nation of Assyria to conquer Israel and to lead the people away into which they would never return to their land. Then there was Judah in the south. It had its good moments and its bad moments. They would have a good king who would lead them in all the ways of the Lord, and then they would have a bad king who would lead them astray. Over and over they would repeat this process. Eventually they would also ignore the call of the prophets to repent, and God would use the nation of Babylon to destroy Jerusalem and to lead the nation of Judah into a time of captivity. And then... For 70 years, they were those captives. But after some time, they were allowed to return, to rebuild their city, to rebuild their walls and their temple. But things would not still be great for Israel. They still wouldn't rule over themselves. They would still have foreign nations ruling over them, always telling them what they could and couldn't do. Things were hopeless for them. For hundreds of years, they would be under the reign of these foreign nations. But they had hope in a Messiah. But they had hope in a political Messiah. Somebody who would come in and free them from the bondage of these nations that were ruling over them. Remember, they would ask Jesus over and over, at this time, are you going to establish your kingdom? Are you going to rid us of, the, of this, these Romans who are overruling us in all these things? 
the nation, they didn't understand why Jesus came in the first place. You see, he will come back and set up his kingdom. And if you want to know more about that, there is a class starting on January 8th on the book of Revelation. There's a plug. So come on out for that and understand all that's going to happen in the future with God's kingdom. Israel wanted freedom from their enemies, but they were looking to the wrong enemy. Instead of looking out at the Assyrians and the, the Babylonians and the Persians and the Romans, they needed to look inside. They needed to look within their own hearts and realize the brokenness and sin that they had as a nation. In Jeremiah 22, verses 8 and 9, it says, And many nations will pass by this city, Jerusalem, and ask one another, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this great city? Then the people will reply, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord, their God, and have worshipped and served other gods. They have turned their backs on God. They have forgotten all that he had done for them. Ezekiel 39, verse 23 says, And the nations shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they dealt so treacherously with me that I hid my face from them, and gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and they fell by the sword. Something was wrong within them. It was because of their sin that they found themselves in a place of no hope. It's why in the Old Testament, Jesus is God is going to go on and say, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to clean you up on the inside. That is where you need to find your hope. It wasn't the nations that surrounded them. They needed a new heart, not a new political leader. It's the same problem that we face today. We think about darkness, no light, separation, silence, coldness, beauty hidden, cursed, a schism. This is life without sin, a life of darkness without hope. So before we can understand the hope of Christmas, we need a clear picture of the hopelessness that is within our lives of sin. You see, there were two brothers they were well-known around this town for their crooked business dealings. They were mean and cold-blooded, the worst which you could imagine. One day, one of the brothers died, and their surviving brother wanted to give his dead brother a funeral fit for a king. He called the funeral home. He made all the arrangements. Then he called the town's minister, and he made him an offer he couldn't refuse. He said, I'll give you $10,000 to put that new roof on that church. If and as you give the service to my brother, you call him a saint. The minister agreed. The whole town turned out for this funeral. He said, the man you see in the coffin was a vile and corrupt individual. He was a liar, a thief, a deceiver, a manipulator, a troublemaker, and a pleasing seeker. He destroyed the fortunes and careers of countless people in this city, some of whom are here today. This man did every dirty, rotten thing you can think of. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. So there he goes. You see, we are all lost in our sin. We have a place with no hope. 
which brings us to our passage from Ephesians in chapter 2. We're going to begin by looking at verses 1 to 3. Paul is writing to them to remind them of their hopeless condition. He says this, he says, And in, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in once you once walk, walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and of the mind that were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So the first thing that we see in here is that we are dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And as you think about death within Scripture, it kind of lays out three areas of death. It says that we are dead physically. There is actually going to be a separation of the spirit from the body, and that is death. There is a spiritual death, the separation from the spirit of God. And our sin causes that spiritual death. But then also there is the eternal death, the everlasting banishment to the place of hell. Sin affects and causes all three of these deaths within our lives. The spiritual death is the past condition for believers. It's the present condition for anyone who doesn't believe. Paul mentioned this to Timothy when he talked about some of the, the widows in the church in 1 Timothy 5, 6. He says, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. As we seek the ways of ourselves, we are dead in our states. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus said in John 17, he says, this is eternal life, that you know me, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom was sent by God. He says, you want eternal life. You don't want this death. It is found in Christ. To know life is to know God. What is death is the opposite of God. Paul even describes the Ephesians in this in Ephesians 2, 12. He says, remember that you were at a time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember that you were at a place having no hope. You were at a place without God in your life, a hopeless place. The verse says <clears throat> that we are lost in our trespasses and sins. To trespass means to go in the wrong direction. You've probably seen no trespassing signs anywhere you go. We have some even here at church where we don't want people to go and trespass and loiter around our building. See, a trespass is to go beyond one's boundary. When you trespass on somebody, you go past where they want you to go. In a similar way, we trespass when we violate and go against God's moral law. The Greek word most often translated trespass means a false step. It implies falling away after being close beside a line. It is a tripping up, a deviation off course, a stumbling away from the truth. We all trespass because we are all sinful. God has posted his no trespassing signs all around our lives, but we ignore those signs and go where he doesn't want us to go in our lives. 
to our trespasses and sins. Sin is missing the mark. It is falling short. We miss the target that God has designed for our lives, and in that, it causes us to be in a place of hopelessness. As Romans 3.23 says, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As many of you know, Christy and I went to Emmaus Bible College in Dubuque, Iowa. And if you're like most people, you're maybe not familiar with the state of Iowa. So let me explain Iowa for you. On the east side runs the Mississippi River. Did anybody know that? Well, there you go. At least you learned one thing today. So the Mississippi River is along the side, and Dubuque kind of has a nice little river walk where you can come down and see the Mississippi River there. So imagine this. Imagine one day Christy and I were taking a romantic stroll along the Mississippi River in Dubuque. And I say to her, you know what? I am going to jump across this Mississippi River. Anybody here think I'm going to make it? I wish you guys would have, at least one person would have said yes. But no, I, was, I would never. As wide as that river is, I would be foolish to try and, and jump to the other side of the Mississippi. And in the same way, there is a gap between us that our sin creates. A, a, sin, a gap that we will never be able to cross. No matter how far we can jump, no matter how hard we can try, we will never cross the gap that has now come between us and God because of our sins and our trespasses, leaving us in a place of hopelessness. You see, you cannot, we cannot understand the doctrine of salvation unless we understand the doctrine of sin. We cannot understand the doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus coming into this world unless we understand the doctrine of sin. It is sin that lays the foundation for our hopelessness. There are people all around us still in this place of hopelessness. See, we have no hope because of the, the death that comes with sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Remember, God in the garden warns the people. He says, look, you eat of this tree he says, look, you will surely die. In Romans 5.12, it says, Just as sin and death came in to the world through one, all sin and die. And then in Psalm 51.5, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. See, we are not born in a neutral position. We can't go either this way or that way. We are born sinners. We are born into a helpless state. See, a person does not become a liar when he tells a lie. He tells a lie because he is already a liar. A person doesn't become a thief when he steals. He steals because he is already a thief. And so it goes with every other sin. It says we commit sinful acts because we are sinners. Jesus confirmed this when he talked about in Matthew about the innerness of our hearts is what's corrupting us. He says, out of our hearts flow all of these sinful things that come out of our lives. If you look back at Ephesians 2, we're even called sons of disobedience. I think my mom called me that quite a bit. I don't know. A son of disobedience. And in Genesis 8.21, it says, the intention of every man's heart 
is evil from his youth. Psalm 58 says the wicked go estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Every person is dead. Every person is lost in hopelessness. I know this sounds like a very hopeless message, but hang in there. We're going to get there. See, also in our hopelessness, we are dominated by sin. This is what he says in verses 2 and 3. He says, In which you used to walk according to the course of this world, the prince of this air, and your flesh causing you to be sons of disobedience. So the first thing we see as we think about sin is the world around us. Paul is not talking about the physical world, but he's talking about this mentality of the world around us to go everything against God. John writes about this in 1 John where he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Also in James 4, it says, Do not be a friend to the world, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The the world around us will try and get us lost. They'll they'll encourage us. They'll They'll think we can find hope in this world. But then all we find is the hopelessness in the world. A chasing after of things that will never satisfy us. Over and over, the world distracts us. The world leads us astray. Even think about Christmas, right? The world wants us to have a different picture of what Christmas is. It wants to distract us from the true meaning of Christmas. But instead, we want to cling to Scripture and to think and reflect on all that God has for us and what He wants to lead us in on this path toward hope. But it's not just the world, it's also the devil. It talks about following the prince and the power of this air. The world is evil because of Satan. He is the evil force behind it. He is called the God of this world. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, it talks about him even disguising himself as an angel of light. You see, unknowingly, as we are in this spiritual battle, in Ephesians 6, Paul will talk about later on in this very letter, that we do not wrestle against the rulers of this world, but there is a, a cosmic battle going on behind the scenes. Something that we cannot see that is playing for our attention, that, that is playing to, to whisper into our minds, that, that is praying for us to, to fall and to be corrupted by sin. See, I, I want to share a little thing that happens to me every Sunday morning before I speak. Every morning before, when I wake up, I wake up immediately, I turn off my alarm, and I get a little thing in my head saying, you're going to fail today. You're not ready. You're not prepared. You're going to stumble over your words. You're not going to make any sense. You shouldn't even speak today. Every Sunday, only on the Sundays when I preach. And I fight through that, and I think, I say, no, I'm ready. And I pray, and I know I'm prepared to bring forth the word. But I know it's the enemy trying to get into me, trying to to let me know you're not worth it. They don't even like you. All these things going through. 
as I bring forth his word. The devil wants us to feel hopeless, to have nothing to do. And it's not just the devil then, it also talks about our flesh. He says, among whom once we lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. See, our trespasses and our sins are the results of the lust of our flesh. He's not talking about our skin. He's talking about the sinful nature that is within us. He's talking about the passions and desires. In Galatians 5.17, it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Romans 8.8 says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We think about the desires of the flesh say, if it feels good, do it. Do whatever you want. The desires of the mind are envy, pride, hatred, bitterness, all these things. Controlling our minds, controlling our thoughts, all to lead us into a place of hopelessness. And as we think about hopelessness, we think about the eternal death, the wrath of God. It says, by nature, children of wrath, Paul says in verse 3, like the rest of mankind. It's, it's difficult to think about th this wrath that comes upon mankind because of our sin. That there is a place of eternal judgment. Wrath is seen over and over in the scriptures. We see Sodom and Gomorrah. We hear in Exodus about the wrath of God burning. We hear John the Baptist proclaiming in his message, flee from the wrath that is to come. The most famous verse in all of Scripture, John 3.16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, that should not face the wrath of God, but have everlasting life. All this in Romans 1.18, that the wrath of God is revealed for all ungodliness. And then again, in our book we're looking at today, Ephesians, in chapter 5, verse 6, it says, For because of these things come the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So in our hopelessness, we, we face the wrath of God. We face this, the hopelessness in the world that surrounds us. In the devil that surrounds us, in our sinful flesh that is within us, all of us in this place of hopelessness and death. But now we see this hope, but we have this pretty bleak picture our sin, our desires, and the devil himself. You've probably experienced this hopelessness in your own life. Maybe it's an addiction in your life something that has control over your mind. What about the experience of losing a family member, a close one to death, a reminder of the death that awaits us all here on this earth? What about a relationship that is broken? All of it is because of sin. And then we come to Christ, the hope that comes at Christmas. Remember, the nation of Israel saw a political savior, not realizing their brokenness that was within them. 
As we have seen that same brokenness, that same hopelessness is within us today. But then in Ephesians chapter 2, we get one of the greatest words in the Bible. But. After dealing with the terrible condition of man in his sin, Paul writes, but. All hope seemed lost for the ravens, but Joe Flacco threw a pass. All hope seemed lost for us. We could never jump across that river, but God. See what he says for us here, beginning in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast, but God. Things seemed hopeless, but God acted in sending his Son into this world. And in the same way we saw the world in its sin, we see that Christ, though, overcomes the world. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does this renewal occur? It occurs through our faith in Jesus Christ, through his spirit coming into our lives and saying, you don't have to live in the way the world wants you to live. Be renewed in faith in Christ. John in 1 John 4, 4 says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Somebody better came into the world that first Christmas. Somebody better came in who was then going to conquer the devil. As we saw in Ephesians, he is going to give us the hope and he is going to overcome the power of the devil. 1 John 3.8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He overcomes the world. He overcomes the devil. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When he is whispering in my mind, I, I pray, I submit myself, and I know that I can conquer through things. I know that God will give me the strength to overcome in my weakness. And yet maybe I'm not gifted. Maybe I'm not that ready, but God brings me here and gives me the strength to speak in his son, Jesus Christ. So it's not just over the world. It's not just over the devil, but there's also hope over the flesh. And in Galatians 5.24, it says, And those who belong with Christ has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Romans 8.6 for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. 
Then again, Ephesians 4.22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former corrupt manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. In our hopelessness, in our lost, he comes in and says, put on Christ. Take off those old desires and put on the new desires that you have found in Christ. But again, it's not just hope over the world. It's not just hope over the devil. It's not just hope over the flesh, but it's also hope from the wrath of God. 1 Thessalonians says, Jesus has come to deliver us from the wrath that is to come. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hope that was once lost. Hope that was lost in the world, in the devil, in the flesh, and in the wrath can be turned into a place of hope because Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Because in that little manger, as his parents rode that golf cart down to Bethlehem, I wished they had a golf cart, right? That would make the manger scenes a lot more cooler, right, if there was a golf cart? But as he went through these things and as he came to earth that first Christmas, we remember the words of the angels who said, For unto you is born this day the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Or the words in Matthew, as this angel appears to Joseph, says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. And it says, For he will save his people from their sins. But God. Things seemed hopeless, but God. Reminds us of the words from 1 John where Jesus came into a world that was dark. A world that would reject him. A broken world. But a light was going to shine in the darkness. And it was going to be the light of Christ to bring us new hope. Christ was coming to bring hope to the hopeless. I was reflecting as these things were caught. Things always pop into your mind at various times in this morning. Some of the songs that we sing were, were popping into my mind. And I was thinking the song, King of Kings, where it says, In the darkness we were waiting, without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running, and there was mercy in your eyes, to fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word, from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. A place that was hopeless, a place that was dark, lost in sin. Then I also thought about my, my favorite Christmas song, O Holy Night. It says, Long lay the world in what? You know the words? They're up there. In sin and error pining. Till when? But God. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of what? Hope. 
and the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. During Christmas, we often think a lot about gifts, what we're going to get. Paul addresses that in Ephesians 2.8, and he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. You already have the greatest gift that you need. It is the hope that comes from Jesus Christ by God sending his Son into this world to take the hopelessness to a place of hope. It is a free gift for all who believe that Jesus came into this world as a baby, not as a conquering ruler or political savior, but as a baby to bring hope to this world. Worship team, you can make your way up as we begin a time of closing here. You see, this is the the hope that changes everything. As we reflect on what we have seen today, we've seen this journey through Ephesians chapter 2. We saw in verses 1 through 3 how there was a place of hopelessness in our sins and trespasses, in this world, in the devil, and in our flesh, all leading us to a place of wrath. But then... But God. It was the hope that came into the world. Jesus, as the angel said, one who would save us from our sins. He would be the one that would take on the wrath of God upon that cross. So that we might find this free gift that was sent into this world. The one that the angels proclaimed. Here he is. Jesus, the Savior of the world the hope that has come to free us from our bondage of sin. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for this Advent season when we can reflect and think about where we were in a place of hopelessness. And as your Son comes into this world, we, we find hope in Jesus Christ. Lord, can we reflect on that? Can we be reminded of all that Christ has done for us? He has destroyed the world. He has destroyed the devil. He renews our flesh and has taken on your wrath so that we might be seen not as sons of obedience, but as sons of our loving Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.